trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to The Brian Hyde Show. That's me. Appreciate you uh, jumping aboard today. Hey, I uh, I kind of specialize in reveling in wrong think. And by that, I mean, I like to question the narrative. I like to push back against official pronouncements, however important they may sound. And above all, I like to encourage people like you to uh, think for yourself. That means don't take my word for anything. Don't, uh, don't take anybody's word for anything so much as be willing to dig in and uh, confirm and and basically sort things out for yourself. It's super important right now because there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. I know most of it is, well, the fact checkers are there to tell us, uh, you know, who's doing what and, you know, what things we need to avoid. But no, I'm talking about uh, there's a lot of effort to keep us in the dark. And my goal isn't so much to get you to take a conservative stance on on all issues as much as I just want to persuade you that it's important to own your worldview. That means you've got to think like an expert. You've got to think for yourself. And you have to be a skeptic, especially for anything that's coming from mass media, because uh, let's let's face it. Most of the news that comes our way is pretty worked over by these uh, government-dependent corporations that, that give us the news. And the way that that news is reported almost always, almost without exception, is to, to keep us basically um, stuck in the status quo, or at least attached to the status quo. By the way, the article of the day, which I'll be sharing in the last segment of today's show, talks a lot about this, and in particular, I don't know if you heard the news over the weekend, but Fox News, despite their, you know, conservative stance, well, at least we have Fox News, you know, to tell us what's really happening. Wow, there's a there's a much darker side to Fox News and much darker affiliations than a lot of people might have originally thought. It's an interesting time. If you're just going to passively sit back, you know, you're going to be spoon-fed whatever people in power want you to believe. But if you're one of those fearless truth seekers, one of those lions in society as opposed to a hyena or a sheep, you're going to have to be a, a truth seeker par excellence. Having said that, let's let's dive right into the show. I know I beat the drum a lot over free speech. It's kind of a part of what I do, but the movement that is ramping up right now to, to first control free speech and then I presume to eliminate it because it seems like that's the direction they're going. It, it seems to be gaining momentum. And there's a marvelous article from Jeffrey A. Tucker. This is on the Brownstone Institute's website called The Free Speech Scare. I think you're going to like this. He says it was a strange experience watching the House hearing in which Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was testifying. I don't know if you saw this last week, but he's right. The topic was censorship and how and to what extent federal government agencies under two administrations muscled social media companies to take down posts, ban users, and throttle content. And the majority made its case, but he said what was strange was the minority reaction throughout. They tried to shut down RFK. They moved to go to executive session so the public could not hear the proceedings. 
that effort failed. Then they shouted over his words when they were questioning him. They wildly smeared him and defamed him. They even began an attempt to block him from speaking at all, and eight Democrats voted to support that. This was a hearing on censorship, and they were trying to censor him. It only made the point. In fact, it became so awful that RFK was compelled to give a short tutorial on the importance of free speech as an essential right, without which all other rights and freedoms are in jeopardy. Even those words he could barely speak, given the rancor in the room. So Jeffrey Tucker says, it's fair to say that free speech as a core principle is in grave trouble. We cannot even get a consensus on the basics. Now, it seemed to viewers that RFK was the adult in the room. Put other ways, he was the preacher of fidelity in the brothel, the keeper of memory in a room full of amnesiacs, the practitioner of sanity in the sanatorium, or as men can might say, the hurler of a dead cat into the temple. Jeffrey Tucker says it was oddly strange to hear the voice of wise statesmen in that hothouse culture of infantile corruption. It reminded the public just how far things have fallen. Notably, it was he and not the people who wanted him gagged who was citing scientific papers. Now, the protests against his statements were shrill and shocking. They quickly moved from censorship didn't happen to it was necessary and wonderful and we need more of it. Reporting on the spectacle, the New York Times said these are thorny questions. Is misinformation protected by the First Amendment? When is it appropriate for the federal government to seek to tamp down the spread of falsehoods? Those are not thorny questions. He says the real issue concerns who is to be the arbiter of truth. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says such attacks on free speech do have precedent in American history. We've already discussed the Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798, which led to a complete political upheaval that swept Thomas Jefferson into the White House. There were two additional bouts of censorship folly in the 20th century. Both followed great wars and an explosion in government size and reach. First came the Red Scare, 1917 to 1920, following the Great War. The Bolshevik Revolution and political instability in Europe led to a wild bout of political paranoia in the U.S. that communists, anarchists, and the labor movement were plotting a takeover of the U.S. government. And the result was an imposition of censorship along with strict laws concerning political loyalty. The Espionage Act of 1917 was one result. It is still in force and being deployed today, most recently against former President Trump. Many states passed censorship laws. The feds deported many people suspected of sedition and treason. Suspected communists were hauled in front of Congress and grilled. The second bout occurred after the Second World War with the House Un-American Activities Committee and the Army McCarthy hearings that led to blacklists and media smears of every sort. And the result was a chilling of speech across American industry that hit media particularly hard. That incident later became legendary due to the exaggerations and disregard for the First Amendment. So how does the COVID era censorship, COVID era censorship rather, fit into this historical context? Jeffrey Tucker says at the Brownstone Institute, we've compared the wild COVID response to a wartime footing that caused as much trauma on the homeland as previous world wars. Three years of research, documents, and reporting have established that the lockdowns and all that followed were not directed by public health authorities. They were the veneer for the national security state, which took charge in the month of February of 2020 and deployed the full takeover of both government and society in mid-March. 
This is one reason it's been so difficult getting information on how and why all of this happened to us. He says it's mostly been classified under the guise of national security. In other words, this was war, and the nation was ruled for a time, and maybe still is, by what amounts to quasi-martial law. Indeed, it felt like that. No one knew for sure who was in charge and who was making all these wild decisions for our lives and work. It was never clear what the penalties would be for noncompliance. The rules and edicts seemed arbitrary, having no real connection to the goal. Indeed, no one really knew what the goal was besides more and more control. There was no real exit strategy or endgame. And he says, as with the two previous bouts of censorship in the last century, there commenced a closure of public debate. It began almost immediately as lockdown, the lockdown's edict were issued. They tightened over the months and years. Elites sought to plug every leak in the official narrative through every means possible. They invaded every space. Those they could not get to, like Parler, were simply unplugged. Amazon rejected books. YouTube deleted millions of posts. Twitter was brutal, while once-friendly Facebook became the enforcer of regime propaganda. And the hunt for dissenters took strange forms. Those who held gatherings were shamed. People who did not socially distance were called disease spreaders. Walking outside without a mask one day, a man shouted out to Jeffrey Tucker in anger, Masks are socially recommended! He says, I kept turning that phrase around in my mind because it made no sense. The mask, no matter how obviously ineffective, was imposed as a tactic of humiliation and an exclusionary measure that targeted the incredulous. It was also a symbol, stop talking, because your voice does not matter, your speech will be muffled. And of course the vaccine came next, deployed as a tool to purge the military, public sector, academia, and the corporate world. The moment the New York Times reported that vaccine uptake was lower in states that supported Trump, the Biden administration had its talking points and agenda. The shot would be deployed to purge. Indeed, five cities briefly segregated themselves to exclude the unvaccinated from public spaces. And the continued spread of the virus itself, well, that was blamed on the noncompliant. Those who decried the trajectory, he says could hardly find a voice, much less to assemble a social network. The idea was to make us all feel isolated, even if we might have been the overwhelming majority. We just could not tell either way. Pretty great article so far, huh? We're going to come back to it on the other side of our break here. Again, this is Jeffrey Tucker from the Brownstone Institute, the Free Speech Scare. This is why the Brownstone Institute is one of my go-to sources for keeping perspective on COVID. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to my sponsors, including ClimbingUpward.com. That would be my friend, Dr. John Pulver. Also, TMCPNation.com. That's my friend, Dr. Er, Dr. Sorry, John, you just got a battlefield promotion here. That's John Harvey, who's the modern conservative podcast host. Lifesavingfood.com, as well as MonticelloCollege.org. So I'm sharing this article from Jeffrey Tucker called The Free Speech Scare. And I think uh, he, he really is on point here. If you had a chance to see the... Uh, the uh, hearing last week where RFK Jr. was uh, was testifying, it was insane. The, I mean, it was, the mask came right off. 
figuratively and literally, you know, the, the Democrats were just, you know, well, we need censorship. We need to tamp down on the, these ideas. You know, this, this, this uh, stifling of ideas saves lives. And, oh, man, they were just adamant. Jeffrey Tucker says war and censorship go together because it's wartime that allows ruling elites to declare that ideas alone are dangerous to the goal of defeating the energy, the enemy rather. Loose lips sink ships is a clever phrase, but it applies across the board in wartime. And the goal is always to whip up the public in a frenzy of hate against the foreign enemy. The Kaiser, right? And ferret out the rebels, the traitors, the subversives, or promoters of unrest. Now, there's a reason that the protesters on January 6th were called insurrectionists. It's because it happened in wartime. The war, however, he says, was of domestic origin and targeted at Americans themselves. That's why the precedent of 20th century censorship holds in this case. The war on COVID was in many ways an action of the national security state, something akin to a military operation promoted and administered by intelligence services in close cooperation with the administrative state. And they want to make the protocols that governed us over these years permanent. Already, European governments are issuing stay-at-home recommendations for the heat. Now, he says, if you had told me that this was the essence of what was happening in 2020 or 2021, I would have rolled my eyes in disbelief. But he says, all evidence Brownstone has gathered since then has shown that's exactly the case. And he says, in this case, the censorship was a predictable part of the mix. The Red Scare mutated a century later to become the virus scare in which the real pathogen they tried to kill was your willingness to think for yourself. Isn't that something? Again, I have this article linked in my show notes at thebryanhydeshow.com. I want to follow it up with, uh, this is an article from Clarice Feldman from AmericanThinker.com. Thorny questions, how the Democrats and media enablers censor news. And she starts out by talking about how the, the Democrats in Congress and, of course, their media enablers dropped their veils this last week, revealing how dear they hold their desire and capacity to censor truth. The drop came during Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s testimony about vaccines, and it shows how frightened they are that he may out-primary their demented puppet, Joe Biden, and his cackling numbskull veep. Here's what uh, New York Times' Cheryl Gay Stolberg tweeted, quote, Despite the theater, the hearing raised thorny questions about free speech in a democratic society. Is misinformation protected by the First Amendment? When is it appropriate for the federal government to seek to tamp down the spread of falsehoods? Ooh, 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 I've got the answer to that. Never. It is never appropriate. Now, Clarice Feldman says her comment was apparently inspired by Representative Deborah Wasserman Schultz, who sought to hide Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s testimony from the public by moving it to executive session. When that failed, she and other Democrats on the committee peppered him with questions and denied him an opportunity to respond. Ranking Democrat Stacey Plaskett, in the context of an investigation of the censorship by the FBI and other agencies, said in her opening statement, quote, I hope that all members recognize that there is speech that is not constitutionally protected, referencing hate speech. Her views, wrong as they are, echo a similar censorship fan, Senator Ben Cardin. Now, Professor John Turley took strong issue with this distortion of the First Amendment, Surveys show that college students are especially indoctrinated to believe the Schultz-Plaskett-Stolberg fallacy about limits on free speech. In fact, these students surveyed indicated it should be a criminal offense to misgender someone. Oh boy. 
So you might want to read uh, his uh, Jonathan Turley's very sound rebuttal. It is linked in the article, which I have in my show notes, again from uh, Clarice Feldman from American Thinker. Misinformation is protected. Simply stating something that others view as misleading or wrong, in other words, offensive to the listener, is protected under the First Amendment. And that amendment makes no distinction between different types of speech. See, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. So the idea is that if you can permit the government to decide true from false statements, that's always going to be selectively enforced to protect the interests of the office holders. And what Turley says, what's so troubling is how the legacy media has jettisoned the most noble aspects of its legacy and become the enabler of censors. Censorship, whether it's direct or indirect through threats to social media uh, enjoined by Judge Terry Doty in uh, Missouri v. Biden a few weeks ago, is a danger to us. We saw how the serious concerns about the COVID vaccine by reputable scientists were blocked from public view. How bad medical treatment like the use of ventilators for COVID victims and denial of alternative therapies cost lives. How exaggeration of COVID mortality locked down schools, businesses, and places of worship, magnifying terror in those who misunderstood the degree of risk. Indeed, the overblown coverage paid the way for overriding sensible election integrity laws and surely enabled fraud. Clarice Feldman says, for almost three years, the extensive videotapes of the J6 Capitol riot were kept hidden from the public. Now they are released and people are closely examining them. What they show in clear relief is that the crowd of thousands peacefully assembled for 30 minutes on the Capitol's West Plaza and were brutally and deliberately attacked for exercising their right to freely assemble. And she gives a timeline here of the events, matched by the video frames of the event. It looks like something out of the Three Stooges, she says. If you think this wasn't deliberate, where where the police came after the crowd when they were peaceful... If, this, if you think this was not deliberate, but she says understandable because these officers were ill-trained, then remember that uh, outgoing President Trump asked the mayor for permission to call up the National Guard, which has better training for such things, and she refused. So did security officials at the House and Senate, which the then chief of the Capitol Police six times requested. So this is the true story of how a peaceful assembly led protesters to enter the Capitol. And it's been bottled up for years, even though many of, for many of the J6 defendants who've been jailed for years without a trial, it is exculpatory evidence. And it's been caught, kept locked from view for one main reason, and that is to advance the Democrats' narrative that this was an insurrection ginned up by Trump. In fact, it was a peaceful gathering incited by outrageous and illegal conduct by the D.C. and Capitol Police. And I would add, and most likely abetted by provocateurs, including possibly some federal agents, within the crowd. Starting prior to the 2020 election and lasting up until this week, the FBI bottled up evidence that President Biden, beginning when he was vice president, received substantial bribes from foreign governments that he had threatened. Last week, Senator Chuck Grassley made public a redacted version of FBI Form 1023 detailing a number of damaging accusations from an FBI informant accusations buttressed by bank records with the promise of more to come. Grassley wants to know why the FBI failed to investigate these credible allegations and hid them from Congress and the American people. Guess. 
Clarice Feldman says, I think it's the same reason that the FBI never investigates what appear to be multiple crimes by Hunter Biden on his laptop, which the agency knew was authentic at the time that 51 former intelligence community officials publicly claimed that it was likely Russian, Russian misinformation, a claim concocted by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And, at the same, and for the same reason, the reporter who broke the story about the laptop Hunter left at a computer repair shop was muzzled by the government, social media, and legacy media. So almost everything that you have read or viewed by legacy media has been damn lies, says Clarice Feldman. Almost everything that's truthful has been kept hidden by the government, Democrat officials, and social media. And now you know why they all insist the First Amendment doesn't say what it says. Now the question is, if they plan on ignoring it, whose job is it to hold them accountable? I'll let you ponder that one for a few minutes. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, thank you for tuning in today, if only to find out what's going on or to just, you know, gain a little bit of encouragement that, to look... I know things are, are looking a little bit uh, uncertain. There's a bit of chaos out there. Okay, there's a lot of chaos. But this is not new territory, okay? This this is this kind of historical cycle has played out before. And always, always it comes down to what kind of people will we be as we play out through this cycle. <clears throat> if you're going to if you're gonna make it through this fourth turning and you're gonna come out intact on the other side, you gotta be somebody of sound character. And this is kind of a proving ground. And this is, and sadly, a lot of people are learning things about themselves that maybe they aren't so happy to know. But I suspect you wouldn't be listening to this program if you were one of those people who's like, nope, it's easier just to shut up, roll over, and go along with whatever the herd is doing. You know, there's a time where you have to stand on your feet, even if you're standing alone, and speak the truth, even if your voice shakes. And if that time isn't here, I think it's on the doorstep. So I'm just here to encourage you that, yeah, it's real. But the difference that you need to make, the individual difference that you were born to make, is also very real. I would encourage you to step up and embrace it. And know that uh, no matter how alone you may feel, you really are not alone. You're you're standing for something that, that matters. So I wanted to share this article from Daisy Luther. I mean, you can call me a conspiracy nut if it makes you feel better, but now that the FedNow program is officially launched, the danger of a central bank digital currency is a lot closer. Daisy Luther has some terrific analysis, as well as some strong recommendations about what we can do. Now, this was published on July 22nd. She says, yesterday, with a bit of fanfare, but not too much fanfare, a wonderful new product was launched FedNow is live and we can all transfer money to our heart's content via the Federal Reserve. Now, sarcastically, she says, wow, that sounds great, doesn't it? Of course, this is a spot created by the Federal Reserve and up, and, and, and up on the Federal Reserve YouTube channel. Fed live is, FedNow rather, is live at 35 banks. Axios reports that 35 banks across the country 
are participating in the launch, and they include banks like J.P. Morgan, Chase, and Wells Fargo, but notably not including Citigroup or Bank of America. So that number is rather lower than the Fed led us to believe as recently as June. The U.S. Treasury also signed up as an early adopter of Fed now. Some 353 banks and credit unions have signed up for RTP. Not sure what that is. In order to use either service, both the sending and receiving bank need to be signed up for the system. So Daisy Luther says, look, we are now officially on the slippery slope that I've been talking about. In fact, she says, I wrote about exactly this happening in my dystopian fiction, Good Citizens, and discussed how this could evolve to control almost every aspect of our lives. She says, a while back, I wrote an article discussing a payment gateway designed by the Federal Reserve called FedNow. Now, this is a way to make instant transfers between accounts, sort of like PayPal or Venmo, but without the users having to move the money from various wallets. While it sounds convenient, the concern is that this puts the infrastructure to quickly roll out CBDCs into place. Central bank digital currencies. And she says she previously had written about this. So on March 15th, in the midst of the banking collapses, the Federal Reserve issued a press release detailing a new payment instant payment system that would be launched in July. This is what they said about FedNow. The first week of April, the Federal Reserve will begin the formal certification of participants for launch of the service. Early adopters will complete a customer testing and certification program informed by feedback from the FedNow pilot program to prepare for sending live transactions through the system. Certification encompasses a comprehensive testing curriculum with defined expectations for operational readiness and network experience. In June, the Federal Reserve and certified participants will conduct production validation activities to confirm readiness for the July launch. Most early adopters have declared their intent to begin using the service in July, including a diverse mix of financial institutions of all sizes, the largest processors, and the U.S. Treasury. Okay, so that's from their press release. Now, Daisy says this has all the hallmarks of a government strategy. First, they offer it as a convenience or a safety measure. Lots of people will jump on board in, or in order to take advantage of this. Now, of course, we've heard this song before. Next, it will be pushed harder, and those who don't adopt it will be mocked, thought of as backward, and treated with suspicion. After that, it will be darn near impossible to do anything without it. That sound familiar? The Federal Reserve Banks are developing the FedNow service to facilitate nationwide reach of instant payment services by financial institutions, regardless of size or geographic location, around the clock, every day of the year. Through financial institutions participating in the FedNow service, businesses and individuals will be able to send and receive instant payments any time of day, and recipients will have full access to funds immediately giving them greater flexibility to manage their money and make time-sensitive payments. Access will be provided through the Federal Reserve's FedLine network, which serves more than 10,000 financial institutions directly or through their agents. Now, Daisy Luther says, What truly makes me worried is that since FedNow is live, this is a soft way to move us all over into using a federal money transferring system that could easily easily be the platform for the implementation of CBDCs, the digital dollar that could end freedom as we know it. She says, please note that what we have now with Fed with Fed now is not a CBDC, it's just the payment gateway. But the infrastructure's in place. 
And if we were to go completely digital with our money, some of the things that would have to happen would include a national financial infrastructure would need to be created that links accounts from all banks to an information highway. They'd need to get people comfortable with using this system. And to do that, it would need to be fast and convenient. I mean, who wouldn't want their money right away? It needs to feel like a win to sell a car and have 20K in your account instantly without waiting for the check to clear. So this provides some time to work out the bugs. The Fed's adopting the new, the folks rather, adopting Fed now would be the guinea pigs. It's new, but everyone expects new stuff to be glitchy. If you're getting it on the ground floor, you're probably willing to be patient with that. Next, they'll want to get as many people voluntarily using it as possible. Expect generous offers, outrageous convenience, and free or cheap transactions. Once it's all in place and running smoothly, the final transition from cash money to digital money would just be a matter of the central bank devaluing our cash, but allowing people to trade it for digital at full or at least greater value. So she says, if you've never listened to me before, please listen to me now. This is the road we're on. And once CBDCs are in place, especially if they are the only option, your every transaction will be monitored, data will be mined from your spending, and your choices can be controlled. And from here she goes into what's the big deal with the CBDCs and describes what they are and and how they work. So as far as the benefits, you know, the Bank for International Settlements wrote a big glowing report about the benefits of CBDC systems. And this is what she took away. She says, you know, they're saying that Central bankers can execute policy or modify rates instantaneously at the push of a button. Private crypto, they say, is bad. Central bank digital currency is good. CBDCs are better than crypto because they're trusted. CBDCs aren't subject to practical limitations of paper money. In other words, they can be tracked. Therefore, it protects against money laundering, proliferation financing, and terrorist financing. It will help increase the pool of data generated on users and transactions, thus helping the proper authorities. Multi-CBDC platforms aid in decentralization, a global economy, and on a common CBDC platform across multiple banks, transactions are recorded on one ledger. But Daisy says, I don't think it means what they're trying to tell us it means. So she says, what can you do about it? And she goes into some great detail here. Suddenly, uh, for instance, let's say that you have a savings account and the value of the money changed with the implementation of a CBDC. Let's say it's worth less by, say, 20%. Suddenly, 10000 becomes 8000 Your 100000 loses twenty k to become 80000 It would only take a second with the click of a button in some office up on the Mount Olympus of the Fed. If you have savings and you want to protect your money, she suggests you've got to make a portion of it tangible. And that means investing in things like supplies, like food, tools, and other long-term preps, land, precious metals. And she says, I'm not suggesting going out and dealing only in silver dimes if you're in a situation in which you're living paycheck to paycheck. If you're in those shoes, like so many of us are right now, you don't have a lot of options. She says, it isn't feasible or practical if you're going to need this money right away for existing expenses. But if you're trying to protect existing wealth, and this is not money you'll need to access immediately, And she says, I would definitely encourage you to invest it into gold or silver to protect your savings during the economic downturn ahead. And keep in mind, and I think this is perhaps the most pertinent warning that she offers in this article, we are all just one wrong think away from losing our money. You remember in Canada when Trudeau locked down accounts for supporting the trucker strike? Okay. We would all be just one wrong think away from losing access to our money. You really need to check out this article. 
You need a backup plan. You need it now. Fed now is live. And Daisy Luther says, I don't think good things are going to follow. Check out the article. It's in today's show notes, July 24th, 2023 at com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Final segment of today's show. You know, I I sometimes get really frustrated as I look at the amount of uh, spin and just outright deception that marks much of the corporate media. And on on the one hand, okay, it's it's frustrating because I don't like being lied to. On the other hand, it's job security because actually, I, in part, this is how I uh, provide value as I go out there and I analyze and try to point out, you know, the different places where deception or spin is being used to either mislead or give us incomplete or half-truths that nonetheless leave us stuck in the status quo. So I'm always very grateful when I find what I consider good, solid sources of grassroots journalism. And right now, there is some remarkable grassroots journalism taking place in northern Idaho, of all places. I want to highlight uh, an individual by the name of Casey Whalen. In fact, I have a link to an article that he wrote on how Marxist networks are playing footsie with state and federal law enforcement in order to target dissenting Americans. I don't know if you remember this, but in June of 2022... Um, there was a tip given to uh, Idaho State Police and local police in Coeur d'Alene who uh, said, well, there's a, there's a bunch of uh, Patriot Front members who I know that the, it's, it's popular to call them white supremacists. I don't think these guys are white supremacists, at least not in the same vein as Aryan Nations, KKK kind of stuff. But uh, they were apparently uh, going to protest at a pride celebration taking place in, in Coeur d'Alene. It was June after all, right? So lots of pride stuff going on. And of course, there was no riot, but uh, these guys were arrested. They were charged with conspiracy to riot. Uh, Five of them were tried last week, found guilty, and sentenced to three days in jail. By the way, they're out. They were eating dinner at Applebee's last night, and they're, they're all free now. But look, you may not agree with Patriot Front, but I think we can all reasonably agree pre crime is really a bad place to go especially if it's pre-crime based on thought crimes. Well, you know, these guys were in opposition to the the Rainbow Mafia down here at the park and their drag show for kids, you know, that was going on. You don't have to be a white supremacist to say, hey, that's, that's really not something I can support. But there's a lot of this guilt by association fallacy going on. And, you know, the, the thing that's most disturbing, as you'll see if you click on uh, Casey Whalen's article, Marxist networks, which are the ones who help promote these events and provide security, wink, wink, you know, from Antifa for these events. They're actually, uh, they're feeding information to federal and state law enforcement and telling them these are the people you need to target. These are the dissenters. And it's disturbing because guess what? State and federal law enforcement are lapping it up like so many kittens around a bowl of milk. Marvelous reporting on Casey's part. Watch for him. This, this is a guy who is, uh, he's shining a light where a lot of people would rather he didn't. And he does a marvelous job. I, I, have, I have seen more good reporting coming out of him in the last month that, uh, than, than I've seen in, in a lot of, uh, well, than I've seen in a long time. 
And I know there's a lot of good people out there trying to get the truth out there. Casey's very, very good at this. So I would encourage you, check it out. All right, let's move on to the article of the day. If you've had an unsettled feeling about Fox News over the last few years, I'd like you to know your instincts are correct. Now, I noticed this some time ago. I noticed that, you know, Fox News, for whatever, it's, it sounds just like all the other networks. Maybe just a slight little conservative edge, but for the most part, yeah, they're just not that different. Roger Kimball has written about Fox News' conservative stance belies a hidden liberal agenda. He says, the longshoreman turned homespun philosopher Eric Hoffer is a semi-forgotten, is semi-forgotten today, rather, but his book, The True Believer, published in 1951, is full of pertinent information. One that has occurred to me of late, or often of late, is the observation that every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. Now, Roger Kimball says, I can't say quite why, but Hoffer's uh, tart mot comes back to me, especially when I've pondered the recent fate of Fox News. Now, he says, I should begin by acknowledging I do not regularly watch any television news, including Fox. In fact, I don't regularly watch any television. Whenever I stumble over the offerings by the so-called mainstream outlets, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, etc., I facilitate between being appalled by their glitzy vacuousness and outraged by their shrill, almost hysterical, and I do not mean funny, partisanship. He says, I used to enjoy watching Tucker Carlson, which I discovered one could get in segments gratis after the show aired. In fact, he says, I thought it was the single most intelligent and most independent-minded commentary on television, and it was also supremely entertaining. But then Fox infamously jettisoned Carlson, their most popular host, for reasons that to me at least remain somewhat obscure. Some people say it had something to do with the $787 million libel judgment rendered against Fox in its fight with the Dominion voting machine company. Eh, maybe so. In any event, like many people, I thought that the change I sensed happening at Fox accelerated markedly after Carlson was pushed out. But he says the truth, however, is that the change has been happening since 2016 when Roger Ailes, who started Fox in 1996 and built it into a $20 billion per year business, was pushed out by Rupert Murdoch. The whole, the whole Ailes story is ably told in a documentary called in homage to uh, Teddy Roosevelt, The Man in the Arena. Now, curiously, Fox, the dispenser of news, is now the object of news itself with the revelation that it has been enabling charitable contributions to such dubious organizations as the Satanic Temple, the Trevor Project, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as Planned Parenthood, dear to the hearts and wombs of feminists, another left-wing recipient of Fox's largesse. This week, Newsmax and Blaze Media aired an extraordinary expose of the scheme. Under the guise of corporate charitable giving, Fox's matching contributions of up to $1,000 per employee to various tax-exempt charities that meet its criteria. And amazingly, entities like Satanic Temple and the LGBTQ Trevor Group qualify for the dough. So the write-up from The Blaze minces no words in describing these radical groups. The Satanic Temple, we read, is an atheistic leftist organization that has distributed satanic literature to children, publicly performed unbaptisms, sought to ensure that women can legally have their unborn children killed by way of their religious abortion ritual, and erected statues of uh, Baphomet, an occult satanic deity, on government property. Now, hitherto, Fox has been regarded as a conservative voice in a landscape overwhelmingly dominated by progressive, which is to say, increasingly woke, and activist voices. 
The Blaze quotes a current Fox employee who said, Fox pretends to care about Christians, but some of the stuff they push internally suggests otherwise. Glory holes, trans surgeries for kids, or potential donations to Satan are a huge slap in the face to every Christian at the country, at the company, rather, and we rep- and we resent it rather. The story of Fox's errant charitable giving probably would have passed under the radar absent the organization dedicated to promulgating the philosophy of Satan, in other words, the philosophy of evil. But Satan was a step too far. As Roger Ailes' widow, Beth, memorably put it, what we see on view here is industrialized devil worship. Now, you're not supposed to say such things, of course, but Mrs. Ailes is right. At some point, Fox News took a wrong turn. Now it appears to have driven off a cliff. No amount of woke, virtuocratic flag-waving can save them. What they need is a new moral compass and a recommitment to delivering a fair and balanced news product. Will that happen? Roger Kimball says the jury is still out on that. i got to admit, I'm, I'm pretty surprised to find that... Uh, I mean, look, I knew Fox was was kind of reading from the same script. The uniformity of their reporting with the other major media outlets was was hard not to notice. But to see that they're, you know, matching, you know, donations to the Southern Poverty Law Center, this grievous or this grievance organization that like characterizes any conservatives, parental rights groups, constitutionalists, anybody critical of big government as hate groups or extremists or bigots. And then that they would jump on board with the Trevor Project, an activist group that purportedly is trying to end suicide among LGBTQ young people, but instead is out there actively promoting gender ideology and woke propaganda. And to find Fox News uh, comfortably in bed with them, yeah, that's, that is, that's a bit far. That's, that's going a little further than I would have expected. I guess this just underscores what, what I hope... You, you hear is a constant theme throughout this program, and that is there is no one true source for information, unless you're talking about God or Scripture. But I repeat myself. <laughs> I mean, really, there, there is just one source of truth in this universe, and all of these man-made sources right now, I think, are, are very corruptible. And so you got to be careful. And that, that means you need to be careful. Even the stuff that, that I'm saying is not uh, necessarily to be taken, you know, at face value. And, well, you have to, you know, believe everything that I say just because I said it. It's never been more important to think for yourself and to really, truly own your worldview. It's very easy to be led astray. I do my best not to lead you astray, but I want to at least encourage you, think for yourself like your life depended on it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.